Welcome to Archery Geek Outdoors. Uh, good evening, folks. Welcome to episode 58 of the Archery Geek Outdoors podcast. This one is a bit of an impromptu one. I've had something spinning through my brain for a couple of weeks now. Uh, so this afternoon, I dropped Angel a message, said, Angel, I don't short notice any chance we could sit down and record tonight because there's something I need to run by you. Angel, as gracious as he always is, said, yep, of course we can. So, right, I'm going to start off with, I don't know whether it's a proposition, a preposition, a theory, or just me thinking and talking utter bollocks as usual. Uh, practicing for score. Now, when I practice a pageant, a lot of the times it's just to wander around the woods with your mates flinging arrows, but... I've got the E for 3D Championships coming up, so I thought, right, I'd better start practising. And I've been... I was shooting rounds for score. I've always had a problem when I'm shooting for score, it gets inside your head. You have a bad arrow, and I overthink things, and things start going to shit. I'd notice the quality of my shots was breaking down. I don't know whether you'd call it target panic or just shot anticipation. If things were seeming to take too long, I'd slam the trigger. Or if I was shooting a precision round, two arrows at each target, I'd have a good first one, then second one. You'd want to shoot a good one. I'd end up holding on, and I really was anticipating the shot, and I was anticipating the shot because if you let the shot go properly... Follow through is natural. It'd be a dead release. I'd be that anxious to see where the arrow was going. As the shot's breaking, bow arms dropping, and I'm dropping it down and away. So, last couple of weeks, I haven't worried about scoring at all. I've been shooting two arrows per target, purely for grouping. I'll pick a spot to aim at, at on, at. <laughs> Let the first arrow go. Wherever it hits, instead of altering aim, I'll pick exactly that same aim spot again and let the second arrow fly. And it's allowing me to work on better shot cycles. Not every shot's good, but I'm in my own head now. I'm analysing my shots more, knowing what's feeling better shots. And I was of the theory, if you have a bad shot and miss, and you then... You're not aware you've had a bad shot. You move your aim point to compensate and you still miss. You don't know if there's the arrow's flying weird, there's something out on the bow, or it's you shooting shit shots and 90% of the time it's me shooting shit shots. So, like I said, I've stopped shooting for score. I'm just picking a spot, trying to shoot two really good shots and trying to get groups at half a minute of angle now i think for a rifle it's one inch at 100 yards for a bow it's one inch at 10 yards so 20 yard targets trying to get one inch groups 30 yards one and a half inch or less 40 yards two inch or less and that's all i'm working on at the moment consistency and then i can think about are they landing where i'm i'm aiming Angel, what are your thoughts on this? Is shooting purely for score all the time 
likely to induce shot anticipation, target panic, whatever you want to call it? And does it do you good to switch up and focus on different things other than just score? Okay, so it's funny that you said this because my students who I took to a tournament yesterday, one of one of the main things with her is like, this is her first year of competition, but she's been shooting for four years. And I have kind of a thing with my students. Some are ready to go to competition immediately and other ones take some time before they're ready. And there was an old commercial here in the States that we shall sell no wine before it's time. That's what they used to, used to say. And it's kind of the same way that I handle my students. And there's a reason for that. So like you were saying, when you're, if you want to avoid target panic and freaking out when you're actually shooting in competition, what you have seemed to discover is that if you're just shooting and shooting to shoot, meaning shooting to sharpen that program that you're running when you're aiming and all that, that you find doing that, you have less bobbles, you have less problems and you have more consistency. And the reason why that is completely true and why it's better for you is very simple. If there's anything on the line at the time, then your mind gets stuck. And even in the case of the girl that was shooting yesterday, her name's Ivana and she's a state champion here and she's won every tournament that we go to and all that. But a couple of months ago, I had to have a sit down talk with her because at her first tournament, she was falling apart and falling apart, not from the shooting perspective, but from the mental perspective. And when that started to happen, her groups opened up wide. She was too much in her head. And it all came from one thing. When you're shooting at a target in a competition, if you shoot a bad shot, the target panic will set in, not because you actually have a problem with target panic. It's because, you know how they say there's the past, the present, and the future? Yeah. Well, unfortunately, your head gets stuck in the past. And then you start going, your brain starts going into overdrive saying, what did I do wrong on that shot? And that's all you can think about. And then you're trying to overcompensate for your next shot. What happens? You'd go into your regular shot routine where you're drawing back and you're aiming and all that. But your brain's like, you know, last time I dropped it low, I want to force it to go a, a little bit higher this time. So you have dueling programs going on. Eventually, the one that's going to win is the one that's stronger. And I hate to say it. But that worry wart sort of mentality is the one that takes over and cause what they call causes what they call the target panic. What you're saying is when you're practicing, practice to just work on your shots, nothing like that. Just get get your groups together. What you want is to see the group and where it lands doesn't necessarily make a difference. It's exactly right. And people take years to finish, to finally come to the realization that you must train your internal programming to work before you can put it all together. So by you practicing that way, you blindly program your brain to accept when I'm shooting my shot, it's going to go where it goes and just throw the next motor program in there. It does it. Joel Turner talks a lot about that. Now, you want an example of this? I'll show you. Remember I said, well, let's smoke a stogie while we're at it today. Yeah. Okay. Examine my cigar here for a second. It's square on both ends. Okay. Yep. Now, let's just say that I took a puff of this thing. 
and I choked on it. Well, believe it or not, it's the same thing as shooting. If I'm worried about what I did on that last puff, do you know what I can do by mistake? When I go to take the next puff, I could put it in my mouth backwards with the lip part on. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And trying to take a puff through the lip part is probably going to suck in many ways. Oh, God, yeah. But it's exactly what you're talking about. If you stay in that moment, target panic or what appears to be target panic will ensue. So what you're doing is you're just going with the rhythm of the shots. I know I'm trying to concentrate on shooting my best group. You're shooting two arrows, and you try to say, okay, at 20 yards, I want that one-inch group, inch and a half at 30. You are sharpening your game. And what's going to happen is doing that more often, your shots are going to become what we call automatics. So now all of a sudden you draw down a 3D target when you're in a competition. Instead of being like, I hope I can hit it where I want, you're like, no, I know I'm going to hit it. I just want to see exactly if I'm pinpoint or if I'm a millimeter this way or a millimeter that way. If you start thinking, I know I'm going to hit it and I'm just going to be a millimeter off, and I think I've said this a lot of times before, you're, you're great. No panic. But if you're thinking the entire time, I'm hoping to hit the target or I'm hoping that when I shoot this arrow, it's within 10 inches of where I'm aiming at, that's where you run into your problems. Yeah. By you doing what you're doing with the practice right now, you're eliminating all that, and you're building your self-confidence knowing that at 20 yards, my group's going to be one inch no matter what, and I'm good to go. Carry that into a, into an actual competition session, and all of the other stuff just goes away. I When, when I shot the E for Bowhunters, that's unmarked distance out to 60 yards. Uh, I was shooting with possibly the two best compound shooters in in the com- compound field shooters in the country for IFA, and the pressure was on. Yeah. And I'd been working on making really good shots for okay. the few weeks up to it. And knowing I was shooting with these two guys, I said to join the car on the way down. I said, "You know what's going to happen? I'm come on, going to come on to target one, and just bitch slap the fuck out of that trigger." And I did because I let, I, I let the pressure get to me. Uh, I mean, it was fantastic to watch them shoot. And both of them said, mm-hmm. I was worrying where the arrow was going to hit. And they both said, we don't worry about that. What we I just, just worry about making, yeah, we just worry about making good shots. We know if we release a good shot nine times out of ten, as long as the distance judging's right, it's going to go where you want it to go. go where you want. And this is exactly I'm, I'm finding not worrying about scoring as I'm going around the woods shooting now, just worrying about making good shots. Nine times out of ten, they are going where I want if I make a good shot. The other thing yeah. I've noticed is when I'm more present in the shot, I can tell if I'm making a bad shot. And mm-hmm. like I say, I'm not shooting. I shoot my index finger. I don't shoot purely back tension because those true bull stingers, it's not the world's greatest trigger. It's a bit of a clumsy trigger on it. So it's a combination of pulling and squeezing, but getting more control on that is Mm -hmm. giving me more confidence. And I think this game is 90% mental, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And it's like you just said, you're concentrating 
in that moment that you're shooting, just concentrate and make a good shot. That's what it, that's, that's what is the building block of becoming a great competitive archer. And it's like, I tell my kids, all the ones who are very, very successful. And, you know, we've had a lot of good fortune when it comes to our, our students, because they, for the most part, all pick it up after a while. Like I said, I don't let them compete before they've kind of understood it. But what happens is you have to stay in the moment and focus on that moment alone and making a good shot. If, If a bad shot happens, you just have to move on to the next one and then be able to let all that go. Easier said than done because some people focus only on the bad stuff that just happened. And like I said, if you let that hang over you, everything else is going to be screwed up. The easiest way to explain it to people, and when I do seminars, I'll usually I'll say, who's the best shooter in the room? And there's always the one person who raises his hand up higher than everybody else. Oh, I know I am. I shoot 300 games all the time. So I said, okay, and you shoot 300 games all the time. Do you do that in, co- in competition? No, I'm more like a 295 in competition. I said, do you know why that is? And then they'll say, no, I'm, that's why I'm here. I'm trying to figure that out. I said, well, here it is. When you're practicing, okay, all the other environmental stuff around you doesn't affect you. You're not worrying about people staring at you. And like I always say, no one really cares what you're doing individually. Everyone's worrying about their own stuff. You're, you're not worrying about, am I going to look bad if I do the wrong thing? Things like that you're not worrying about. So what you have to make your shooting do is become as simple and as regular as anything that you do in life. This is the best example of it. When you go to open a doorknob, to open a, open a door, do you have to run through 74 different things on how you should be twisting the door, how much pressure to apply or anything like that? No, you just go ahead and do it. Yeah. And unless there's something wrong with the knob, it opens every time. It's the same thing with a bow. If you just program yourself to be like, this is a, re- a repetitive thing. I do it all the time. Then you, if you do that, you're not going to have any problems. It's when you start questioning yourself saying, can I do this? That things go wrong. If I would have questioned every time I went to open a doorknob, then I'd be really screwed up. And half the time I'd be jiggling it. Not too, not too far, not far enough. Um, and doors wouldn't open. I have to give it like three or four tries. That's no way to be in life. And that's also no way to do it in archery. You have to rely on your basics that you know, and that saying, okay, I know I'm going to make a good shot. Trust that I make a good shot. It's going to go where it needs to go. There's nothing different than that. Even going simpler than that is to say, do I go through 72 different steps to know how to breathe, breathe a breath, to breathe in, to breathe out? No, I do it all my life. I do it when I'm asleep, when I'm awake. The best shooters can take their shooting technique and turn it exactly the same way. Yeah. Now, people, the first thing they say to me when I'm doing a seminar is, well, if that's true, how come these guys aren't winning every single tournament? And I'll explain it like this. Your psychological makeup is probably the most adaptive and troublesome of any system in your body. So when you go ahead and you train it to do its best and all that, your brain is always trying to make things work better. Well, sometimes when it makes things work better, 
it has hiccups. It screws up. And that's when you run into these problems. The difference is with a champion athlete, he can reorganize that and fix it, recognize what he did wrong and move on for it. Some people can do that within one shot. If they make a bad shot, other people will take a couple of shots. Some people take the entire day or even a couple of days of a tournament to figure it out. Cause that's why you'll see certain, it's interesting if you look at the World Cup shooters, look at what their day one score looks like, and then look at what their day two score looks like. The ones who the day one are the strongest. So in a say this day one, they shoot a seven oh one. Yep. And then day two, they shoot like a six sixty. What happened there? They were so confident in what they were doing day one. They let it ride, but day two, they let their brain take over, and the brain's like, I shot a 701, a 702. I want to shoot a 715. Let me improve this, and it throws everything away. And then you have the other people who do okay, 680, 690, day one, and day two, they're 700s. Not because they were trying to apply some different technique. It's because they just let their shot do what their shot does, and as long as everything's going right, they'll do better or as good as the last shot. And that's what you're looking for. So all you're looking is to become more automatic than really thinking about stuff. So if you're, if you've reduced your focus to just getting down to shooting a good shot, that's basically all you really need in archery because combine that with the mental game and all the other stuff going on, you'll be a hundred percent better off than you were before. Right. Next one. Have you, I, at Liberty, on the day two, I I traditionally shoot a better score on day two than day one. Day two, I was on my first, on for my first ever round. And this year, I think it was, what was it, 32 targets a day, which is Mm -hmm. lowest I've shot at Liberty. And fast shoots in this country are traditionally 36 to 40 targets. Uh, Mm Mm-hmm. I was on for first first day of shooting where I'd shot no 16s. Put that into context, ASA or IBO, no fives. No fives. Six targets from the end. I let a beautiful arrow fly. We heard a crack of my arrows in the ground. I'd hit a, okay. a, a thin piece of bamboo right in, it was in front of the target split it, deflected Darrow into the ground. The the final half dozen targets after that, all I could think about was, was that. that. And that mu- that cost me a couple of maybe three twenties instead of twenty four shots that I should have twenty fours. I I be tens or ASA tens. I was eighteen because I'd left my thoughts, and I was just running over and over and over that shot in my head. The fact I hadn't, I hadn't clocked that piece of bamboo. The fact that, oh my god, this is just ruining my day for me. Have you got any advice on if you have? How do you leave that bad shot behind? How do you then come on to get yourself okay. back onto? I know it's every arrow is the only arrow you're going to shoot that day, isn't it? The only mm-hmm. arrow you're going to shoot is one on your bow. I just exactly. couldn't get that out of my head, and that had a detrimental effect on the last half dozen targets. Is there anything 
you can recommend that I'd just get that negativity out of my head when I've been shooting really well, had a bad shot, stop letting that play in my head. Sure. Um, well, let's break it down to something a little bit more familiar to you. Let's just say that you started recording this podcast and um, you forgot to hit record. I'm notorious for that. Major look. Bloody <laughs> <laughs> well look. did. <laughs> okay. You forgot to hit record. Yeah. Now, for every other podcast that you ever do, would you be thinking about that? Or no? No. Probably not. Once I've hit that record, like, I'm good to go. Okay. So I hit record. Fine. Don't worry about it. Podcast that I do a week from now, two weeks from now, a month from now, a year from now, I will not be harping back to what happened that one time. Yeah. Same thing when you're shooting and something like that happens. Now, when you heard that crack, whatever, first thing that probably went through your head is not what you think. You heard the crack and you saw what happened with the arrow, but do you think that the first thing that really went through your head was the arrow down there or was did something happen and something happened to the bow right near me? It was, oh, shit, what happened? Have I damaged my bow? Exactly. So your body went into protective mode thinking, oh, boy, what happened? Fine. That little combination of stuff, even though you knew it was a twig, when you know, when you looked or whatever you hit, that can carry with someone to the next shot and the next shot and the next shot. But the way to get rid of that is you have to come to a reasoning. And again, it's one of those things that sounds simpler to do than it really is, but it is kind of simple. When you're shooting, I'll give you a perfect example with Ivana shooting yesterday, shooting at 50 meters. She's 14 years old. Okay. Yeah. And the kid can shoot well into the mid-600s in a 720 match. No problem. But when she first started shooting at the beginning of the season, if she shot and a wind gust happened to happen at the moment that the arrow was getting towards the target, what should have been a 10 could have wound up being a 5 or a 4. And that used to freak her out for the next couple of shots just like your shot freaked you out and then it cost you points later on because you kept on harping on what happened and how do I avoid it? Yeah. To get her out of that, I had to just explain to her this. There are things that are going to happen that you have no control of. Could you have seen that twig that you hit? You think about it, maybe. Most likely not. It happened to be there. You didn't see it in your trajectory. You sure didn't see it in your scope. No. Same thing I told her. When you take that shot, that gust of wind could come at the wrong way. It could happen at the last second and blow you off to a four. Now, are you going to be concerned that every other shot is going to hit the gust of wind at that split second right before your arrow decides to get to the target? No, you can't because it's something that you don't have control over. Anything when you're taking a shot, that's outside of your control. Do I see that twig? Do I see this? You can't harp on it. You have to say, fine, it happened. Next. Because if you don't, you're going to find yourself looking for, you know, all of a sudden you're looking at your scope and you're like, is there a twig in there somewhere I'm going to hit this time? No, it's not there. 
fine, maybe I can take a shot. But in the back of your head, like, there could be something there. And that slightest bit of bobbling on your concentration is going to mess you up. So all you can do is say, it happened. Next, move on. It'll take some doing, but the easiest way I found to show people how to do this, it's very simple. You have to be able to prove to yourself that your skill and your game, you're confident enough in them to rely purely on what you know, what you can control. Yeah, You can't control something you can't see. I can't control the wind. But what I can do is focus on everything and concentrate on making the best shot. That's what you kept saying. Those guys that you were watching, they were great because they concentrated on making the, the best shot. If they something happens, it was like, oh, well, not my fault. Move on. And if you can realize it's not my fault, you're going to do fine. Because once you realize and put it together that anything like that that happens is not your fault and that 99% of the time when you're making a good shot the way you practiced, that's not going to happen, then who cares? Because otherwise we wouldn't have the term perfect score. Yeah. And a per- perfect score is so hard to achieve is because – you can do your best in shooting, but outside factors are always at play. And 99.9% of the time, they will screw you over in one way or another, and you have no control of it. I have no control over whether or not a tidal wave is going to come at me if I'm standing on, on a beach and a tsunami shows up. I didn't know it was going to show up, and I sure as hell can't stop it. Yeah. But... If I take myself out of the situation that says, well, I probably shouldn't be standing by a seashore like this. When they said there's a chance of bad weather and maybe a tsunami showing up, let me not be here. Same way, you're avoiding a disaster by by just going through making every effort possible to make that shot the best you can. And additionally, anything that does go wrong, move on. Otherwise, you know that if you don't move on, you're going to have the same issue possibly happening again. Every time you keep thinking of something or letting it affect you to the next shot, the chances that it does affect you on the next one become higher and higher and higher. The only way to stop that is just say, it's done. I'm going to my next shot and forget about it. Those guys that you see shooting like that, I don't think they can tell you what happened five shots ago if you ask them. They'll be like, oh, I let it go. And after I looked through the binoculars, I see where it went. Maybe they can tell you what they scored, but as far as what happened on that individual shot, like what were they doing? Most of them don't know because if something did bad did happen, they made note of it. They, they said, okay, fine. They did next shot. They didn't repeat it and they were good to go. Yeah. So Does that he, make any sense? Mm. Yeah, it, it does. I so I am becoming a, a lot more, I think just going around plinking with your mates, you're not thinking what you're doing. You're not aware of the shot. Yeah. When all you're doing is shooting for score and trying to achieve a certain score, you become that fixated on the score, you're losing what's going on in your shot process. Yeah. So mm-hmm. with this going round, just trying to shoot for groups, like I say, if the arrow lands off, don't adjust my aim, aim for exactly the same point again. Exactly. And if they're grouped together, it's either sides off, Bow may be slightly out of tune, but I'm being consistent. Yes. And this, this is the thing with shooting NFAS. 
it is like, uh, like I say, I, ASA and IBO, mm-hmm. it rewards single arrow success. And you, you, particularly in Compound Unlimited, occasionally I'd have a second arrow, have to take a second arrow if I'd misjudged the distance and shot over mm-hmm. or shot under. But we then fast big game scoring. First arrow that scores, that's it, you stop shooting. So I could do, I'd shoot a 40 target course. I'd, be, I'd expect to shoot a 40 target course now and only shoot 40 arrows. This is one of the reasons I want to do some hunter and field. Yeah. Which is like your NFAA. Yes. Because it's four arrows per target. Mm-hmm. That rewards consistency, not first arrow success. So, excuse me. Little bit of little bit of gas from the side of there. Uh, <laughs> I I want to shoot those to develop my consistency, and that's one of the reasons. Like I say, we've got I've got the three Ds coming up. The one round, like I said, precision mm-hmm. round two hours per target. So that's what I'm working on, just getting my grouping right. Once I can consistently hit the groups I want to, then I'll look at making the sight adjustments and whatever. Because I think. If I start adjusting sights when I'm going for grouping, if I miss off and adjust my sights, I'm not going to get that group anyway, and it's just going to mess up the head even more. So once I've got mm-hmm. the the Mark 3Ds out of the way, I'm going to then start looking at getting some practice in for Hunter and Field Rounds next year, and that's got to be consistency. I mean, I think they're out to 80 or 85 yards. Shots from, what is it, something like 15 feet all the way out to 80, 85 yards. Mm -hmm. But four arrows every target. Now, when practicing for those, would I be wise to shoot? In competition, it's four arrows per target. Am I going to be wise to practice five or six arrow ends? So when it comes to the competition... I'm only having to shoot 80% of the number of arrows I'm used to shooting, so I'm less likely to fatigue. Yeah. So what you're talking about is building up your endurance yeah. so that you can accommodate. So let's just say you have a 70-arrow a tournament, and you want to make sure that if there's an elimination after something like that, that you're able to shoot 100. Practicing for that 100 is the best way to go. So it's kind of like if I'm always – if I have the, you know, if I have the weights and I'm doing curls for a hundred and curling a hundred, curling a hundred, curling a hundred, and then I go and I pick up a 40 pounder, it's like nothing. Yeah. So you build your endurance. However, however. So here in the States, we have the USA archery system. Okay. Yeah. And it may shock some people unless they listen to my podcast to find out that a lot of the stuff that they teach in the USA archery system, I have some issues with because it's very general and it's like, eh, and they preach rigid form. You you know, I talk about it all the time, rigid form instead of customizing it to the student and stuff like that. Well, one of the things that they do teach us about, and it is extremely true. Is called periodization. And what that means is a buildup so that you are stronger and stronger and stronger and that you peak at the right time because the theory is that someone who shoots, let's just say I have a tournament coming up um, at the end of the month. Today's the first day of the month. The tournament's on the 30th. 
So in that tournament, I'm going to have to shoot 120 arrows on any given day. Yeah. The incorrect thing that some people do is I got to shoot 120. Fine. I'm going to start by shooting 150 every day. In theory, it sounds smart because you'll be at 150 arrows. You'll be all this. It's not really that way. And the way I teach my students is kind of based on this. Let's just say we have a tournament. We know it's a couple of days off. I'm going to use a period of one week. I'm on Monday. The tournament is on Sunday. It's a 72-hour tournament. They normally shoot 50 or 60 arrows for an outdoor session, Yeah, not 72. What I'll do is day one, which is Monday, it all depends on the age and how I scale it and all that. Day one, they're shooting 48 arrows. Not to 72, 48. Yeah. Day two, Tuesday, now we're shooting 54. Day three, 60. Day four, which is now we're at Thursday. Yeah. 72 arrows. Okay. Yeah. But Friday, I don't have them shoot 100 arrows. Friday, they're going to shoot. 64 or something like that. And then Saturday, they'll shoot 62. And the reason it's going like from low to high and back down to low right before the tournament is because if you try to over in a, in a given period of time, especially in less than 30 days, if you try to scale it from this, from down here to up here. Yeah your body's going to get tired. If you don't build it up slowly, it's kind of like when they tell you to lose weight. If you lose weight rapidly, it'll all come back because your body's not going to deal with it. But if you lose weight slowly, it'll stay off. It's the same way. If you build up slowly, your body will accept it and you won't get overly tired. In periodization, what they try to tell you is go slow on a slope, Get to the top, come back down, so that by the time you get to your tournament, you're on that upwards bound again. Your body is not overly tired. It's ready to go and already expecting more than it's going to have to put out. And doing it that way, that's how people win tournaments because they don't get tired. Because remember, especially, especially when I see people, I will mention names, (laughs) John Dudley, um, who say, go ahead and Every shot, your chest stuck in, you're standing up like a rigid board and all that. You try to do that for 120 arrows and tell me what your so-called rigid form is going to look like after arrow 20. Oh, yeah. It's going to be down, down, down. And while you start it up like this, by the time you're at arrow 120, you're like this. Yeah, okay. You know, just trying to get past it. So the idea is slowly ramp up, ramp down, and then you're on the upward bound when you actually get to the time where where you need to do it. And that's the whole basis of periodization. So if you do that, you know, if you're preparing for something that's only a month away, you can actually scale it like that pretty safely without hurting yourself and without over-fatiguing yourself. If it's several months away, then you can just add four hours, four arrows to your regular shot routine every week. 
And before you know it, in four weeks, you've added another 20 arrows that you have endurance for. But if you have something on a short, short-term short level, do it slow, work up, go to the top, work down, so that you're on the upward slide when you actually get to the time that you have to perform. See, you said that about periodization. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts from Nick Bear, who's a hybrid okay. athlete. Uh, Cam Haynes had him on the lift, his lift, run, shoot series and the lift, run, shoot shoot experience podcast yeah he's and watching a lot of his videos the guy's a marathon runner an ultra marathon runner and they do marathon runners do exactly the same they're not running their hardest immediately yeah. before the marathon before the marathon they're actually scaling down yeah so they can come on the way back up yeah. when it's time to compete yeah and like I said, of all the things that USA Archery has in their advanced levels for, for coaches, because they have instructors at the beginning levels, level one and two, level three and four are actual coaches. Yeah. And we learn the advanced stuff with physiology and everything else, but we also learn techniques about periodization. And I think if more people knew what that was, they would be able to practice and be more ready for it. Unfortunately, Sometimes organizations try to keep the knowledge in the hands of the few instead of the mass. And it doesn't do anybody any good because sometimes the few either it doesn't fit their program. So they won't bother teaching it at all, or they don't know it well enough to do it, or they just do it for a few and not the many. And that all screws you up. But the idea being ramp up, ramp down and back up on the way for the competition is the way that all my girls train. And it's why we have such a high winning percentage for all of them. So that's why we try to do it like that. And you'll see it working in other sports. And just because it works in another sport does not mean it's individual to that sport. It works in all things that you do. Yeah. So that that's why it's, it's a tool that most people don't know about. See, th- this is one thing I do like about Dudley. He doesn't gatekeep anything. He wants, mm-hmm. like he said, he wants everybody to be as good as they can. So we bring more people into. I mean, it's it's a sport that it's so addictive in the archery. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. You know, it's like crack cocaine. The more you do it, the more you want. I do like the fact that he wants to get everything out there to everybody. Mm-hmm. And I can, only, I can only respect him for that. You know, he will share everything he knows. He'll he'll sit down and pass it on and say, right, this is what's worked for me. Which, the, the thing is with him, he 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 wants to share everything with everybody. Um, and in doing so, he also recognizes one thing. The human psyche responds to instant gratification. They want to have instant gratification to see yes. a lot of stuff happen. So if he were to explain it kind of like the way I explain it, people either wouldn't believe him or they'd be bored of it right away and yeah. move on to something else. So what he tries to teach him is like the rigid form and all that, because if you practice that, because remember, he's preaching mostly to new people and stuff like that. Yeah. If you practice that, you can get better faster than you normally would on the sliding scale of like doing it a little bit at a time. Um, But, but you may limit your potential by doing that 
Because then what happens if you've been doing this the whole time, the way he says it with the rigid form and the whole bit, sucking your chest in when you're shooting and all that, trying to do that for all 60 shots of a 60 shot tournament. And then you find that you're breaking down halfway and then you come to a coach like me to fix it. Do you think it's going to be harder to change how you're doing that later on? (laughs) It usually is. Oh, Lord. Yeah. So like, to change it will take more work than if you had just started it that way in the first place. Yeah. But like I said, he broadcasts to a wide variety in it, millions of people that are watching what he does. So he wants to make sure that he gets the majority of those people doing something well enough in a way that they're going to be successful. Now, if they want to go to that next level, they're going to have to kind of alter some stuff slightly but keeping the same base format so just telling somebody hey you can't shoot 200 arrows in a day go from shooting 60 arrows in a day to 200 arrows in a day or you screw screw yourself up it's hard for some people to swallow that well john dudley says doing this i say yeah and for the masses who are never going to go to that next step that's fine yeah but you come to me so you can progress to that next level you're not going to climb a 20 story building with a ladder that's only meant for one story. Yeah. You're going to have to learn to adjust and make that ladder bigger. So you make small adjustments. There's nothing wrong with how he teaches it. It's just that for you to go to that next level, you have to do something different. And periodization is something that has worked and been proven for a lot of people. And for the longest time was a secret kept by some of the most winning athletes because their coaches didn't want to tell anybody. Yeah. However, as I have a reputation for being one of the most hated coaches in, <laughs> in, in the United States because of how I do things. And at the last tournament, I got two guys on me. Like you have no idea because I have my girl shooting and in between ends when they were on, on the break for the first half to the second half, She's helping somebody fix a D loop and stuff like that. Yeah. Telling them what's wrong with it. And these guys are like, why are you getting your kids involved in doing this? That's something they should leave for the shop. I said, number one, lower your tone because you could have a problem where you won't see the second half of this tournament because you won't be conscious. Second of all, The fact that she knows how to do this means she can take care of herself. And the fact that she's willing to help others is because that's the way I trained her. Now, if you two jackasses don't like that, come to my next seminar and I'll teach you how to do it yourself. But because you set you, you happen to suck on the pacifier of the pro shop that you guys do business with. It's not my fault. And when I turn around, You've got about three seconds to run as fast as you can, or your students are going to see something very bad happen to you. I turned around, they were gone. <laughs> but this is why some people, they won't accept the, it's, okay, so there's a guy that I did a podcast with uh, a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago now, and he taught me one it's not what he taught me is that what he pointed out to me and it's very, very true. And it's a motto I live by because that's the way my coach taught me. Yeah. That is what was ordinary years ago is extraordinary today. And it shouldn't be like that. Years ago, people had to work hard, do everything. 
And that was the ordinary thing. Now, things have gotten so easy for people or they've become so lazy, if you will, that the ordinary effort from, say, 15, 20 years ago is looked at as extraordinary. So if you and people perform extraordinarily well, if they just stick to the ordinary stuff from years ago. And if any of those people who years ago were the ultimate and extraordinary were to put their levels on today and do the same thing today, they would be like, oh, my God, what is this guy? Is he a phenom? Is there something going on with him? And a perfect example of that is a young man by the name of Bodie Turner, because his father, Joel Turner, teaches him in the way to do things like we always used to do it which is put the hardest work you can in, rely on yourself, do everything to 100%. Don't just get by. Yeah. And because the majority of people believe in just getting by, and that's not trying to be mean or anything like that. It's the day and age we live in. If you can be yesterday's ordinary, you'll be the utmost achiever in this day and age. So, that's what you have to be. And that's what I try to teach my girls. They are extraordinarily looked at today because they're doing what was just ordinary to us when I was coming up. And this is what we do. I see no reason to adapt to the times and become a lazy bastard because everybody else is a lazy bastard. It's just not how it works. Yeah. You the same way when you're shooting ordinarily 20 years ago, because everyone's struggling with, bows that had steel steel cables instead of you know like fiber cables like we have now and things like that and little wheels instead of gigantic cams they had everything going against them yet they knew it took hard work to make it work now you've got easier bow systems to deal with and you kind of slack off on it but if you work just as hard and you take those shots and something bad happens you're like that was me just gonna move on fine you'll be considered extraordinary because you could just let that go. Yeah. And a small percentage of people who do all the winning, because if you look at it, it's always the same people winning, have found that and know how to do that. And when someone can learn how that works, then they get into that small percentage of winners and they continue to do well. I mean, I, I've always been a distinctly average archer. And I was happy to sit there, middle of the pack, and just, it is what it is. But, since I've known you and Anthony, I've got that thing where I don't want to be average anymore. Yeah. This is why now I've got a thing where I am wanting to practice different. I say at the moment, it's good to arrow groups. Once I've got the, the dots out of the way, it's going to start practicing field and hunter. Even if it's only at 20 yards, but... Let me get that consistency. Let me work on making really, really good shots. I want to start inching my way up the field, if you know what I mean. I -hmm. don't want to be middle of the road anymore. I want to be better. No. And just with that attitude that that's what you want to do, that'll separate you from everybody else. And the more that you adhere to that, the better you're going to do. Like I told you last time, I am a recently new cigar smoker. Yeah. Okay. And like anything else, I had to learn about the world of cigars and just how to smoke a cigar, okay? And you'll see that now I can go ahead, take a puff, not think about it, whatever. 
my first couple times, I was focused on just how to take a puff, not swallow it, not choke on it, not yep. look like an idiot. Um, and it becomes second nature. Now, you'll notice, as you saw a couple times already, that when I light my torch, okay, to relight the cigar, I am not that stupid. I still look at what I'm doing. Yep. Um, because I, one, don't want to singe off my eyebrows. <laughs> Two, um, the other day, as you'll notice that I'm wearing a hat today and all that, because I've also come to the conclusion with the sun as being as high in the in the sky as it's been lately and not wanting to roast my coconut, <laughs> um, that I must protect this. Yeah. Well, I wasn't used to lighting up a stogie, and I only smoke one or two a week. I wasn't used to lighting up a stogie with, with a hat on, okay? Um, and this happened in front of two of my girls, and you see how tall the flame is on a torch and oh, this is God, a mildly yeah. small torch well i was lighting up a stogie like this and i wasn't paying attention <laughs> the bill of my other hat caught fire and let me just say that in all things there is trial and error you must take the good with the bad and learn from your experience yep i have since learned I cannot do this without thinking about it yet. And I've also learned that inexpensive caps ordered on Amazon, which are most likely made in fucking China, yeah. are as flammable as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I had the burning crown of Satan going on because this entire thing was on fire. Oh, wow. And while the, one of them looked at me like, that's so cool. I'm like, what? They're like, your hat's on fire. I'm like, what? And I go like this, and I can feel the heat from the top of the fire. Like, and I threw it off like that, and I'm like, now, I could have taken that and been scared to ever light another stogie again. Yep. Or I could just take it as learning experience and saying, hmm, fuck, maybe I should think a little bit more before I do something that stupid. I could not see that this is in the way of the flame, okay? You could not see that that fucking little branch or whatever it was was in the yeah. way of your arrow. Now, you can become paranoid about it for the rest of the match, or you can just be like, fuck, it happened. Won't happen again. Leave it alone and not care. As you can see, I am still wearing a hat, and I'm still smoking stogie, so I've learned to let that go, just like a bad shot. See, those those jet flame lighters, especially if you're outside in bright sunlight, you cannot see the flame anyway. You're well, inside, but so when you stood outside number of times lighting it just when I smoked cigarettes I came off those jet flame lighters because you got to light one and the end <laughs> of your nose is gone well <laughs> yeah um, I also use them because when I first and this is going down a rabbit hole it has not, not archery related but at the same time it kind of is because when I first started smoking them I didn't have one of these okay yep yeah. I had a Zippo lighter, which is what I carry in my pocket, and I use for burning D-loops and stuff like that. As with everything, there are specialty items for every type of job. Yeah. I learned two things. One, if you light a stogie with a Zippo, it will taste like shit because it'll taste like butane. <laughs> okay. Two, 
if you tried to melt a D-loop with a flame that fucking big, <laughs> you will singe the string on the bow. Now, fortunately, I was doing one of my training bows that's uh, Matthew's Genesis, yeah. and I was changing the string on it. I still had the old string, and I was putting a D-loop on it so I could teach somebody how to shoot a release with it. And I went to this because I was too lazy to go to my other one, and when I turned the fuck around, I burnt the string in it. <laughs> Again, do I let that affect me for the rest of my life? No, I don't want that to happen. Teachable moment. A teachable moment. And I would call it that aha moment when you pick it up and you realize what just happened. But that's not an aha moment. That became an oh fuck moment. (laughs) I can never use this again to work on my archery equipment. Just like I can't ruin a good $30 cigar with a fucking cheap ass butane flame from a Zippo. (laughs) So you live, you learn, you move on. You don't harp on the past. Anthony was right, you know, cigars are a bigger rabbit hole than archery, aren't they? You have no idea. I know, I've, how big a rabbit hole? I've I've been watching the Cigar Daily videos and how the correct way to even light a cigar, how to smoke <laughs> it, you know, a puff every 45 to 60 seconds. You should get an even burn. If the burn's cockeyed, it's not a really good cigar. Yeah, so like when I first learned how to light a cigar, I basically was setting the fucker on fire. <laughs> That's what I was doing. Just open the, open the lighter and... Boom, Whatever. Yep. I learned that watching a video. That was a mistake. So I said to myself, who would be the best person to tell me about this? I went to someone I know who's a aficionado and a master of smoking cigars. He would know how to light it. Yeah. He said, everybody does it different. Find an expert. Fine. I consulted with a few different people and somebody who's been smoking cigars for 30 years told me, listen, I could show you how to do it, but your generation. And I'm like, excuse me, my generation. Like, yeah, your generation likes to watch shit on video. So go to YouTube and watch this video by this guy from Perdomo. And he shows you exactly how to, to, to light a cigar. And I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, because I was doing it wrong for 28 fucking years. <laughs> and I learned this guy's method of doing it. And now it's much more pleasurable. Yeah, I, I used to I light them like a cigarette. Stick it in your mouth, hold the lighter on the end and <laughs> puff it. You know, non- And it tastes like shit. Yeah, none <laughs> so, of this toast the end first. And then toast take the end, it. Yeah. Toast the end around it gently. Don't let it touch the flame. Let the heat from the flame do it. Yeah. And then... Go and you have to be rolling it in 360, and then go ahead and start puffing on it as you roll it in 360, get an even burn, and you'll always get a nice burn. And I'm like, this is the same bullshit that happens with archery. They watch all these different videos of, frankly, people doing it the wrong way, and they maybe stick on one because the production level is better than others and say, that must be the way to do this. And then years later, they come to somebody like me and they say, why is this all screwed up? And I say, you've been watching a lot of videos, I can tell. (laughs) Because of production qualities, because I know how to make a video, I must know how to do everything. Exactly. Some of the best videos I've ever seen on YouTube are done under the shittiest production, (laughs) you know, things I've ever seen. Yeah. And some of the 
and some of the worst videos I've ever seen. Um, Cinematic masterpieces. Yeah. I mean, she who shall be unnamed. Uh, that's a pretty good production quality lately because apparently they gave her all kinds of people to produce her video now. And she's giving you the worst information of anyone on the planet. But <laughs> people will see they're like, oh, it's done so well. It must be right. It is not right. No. Um, so you live and you learn. And, you know, until it comes up and bites you in the ass, you may not take it as gospel that what someone is teaching you is wrong. But it is true, and it and it does happen that way. Um, it's the same thing. Like I said, the only way, and this is the absolute truth, the only way to get better at shooting in tournaments and shoots and stuff like that is to shoot more tournaments and more shoots. The difference is there are people who will tell you, shoot shoot, 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 shoot. Don't worry about your form or anything like that. And it's all going to get better. That's the worst thing you can possibly do. Yeah. Go to tournaments. You learn how to interact with people, how not to let things affect you, how not to let the noise and the environment affect you and all that. But you still have to work on your basic technique, your basic motor programs that do everything. And the way that you're doing it now is the best way to do it because you're getting the exposure of shooting with people. And at the same time, you're working on your technique. Put the two together and eventually they'll they'll come to the point where it's second nature to you. And going to a tournament or going down to the club to shoot, there is no difference. Yeah, That's why these guys were the best. You think they care that, oh, we're going to the national championships. It's like, yeah, it's just another day for me. Who cares? That's what they do. For some people, they go to a national event and they're like, oh, my God. They get starstruck. They see all these different people there. They're like, look how many people are seeing this. I'm actually in That's the process. That's me. Is there any shoot? <laughs> like you said, though, I don't do enough. I, I need to do more. Because I'll practice hard, but because I do so few shoots, when I get to a shoot, it all goes out the window and I'm worried about looking like a prick. <laughs> and just back, it's back to form. What's form? What's a shot cycle? Get it back pointed in the right direction and slam that trigger like Mike Tyson on Robin Givens. So... Um, one of the reasons why somebody sat me down and said, listen, if you don't, as I have, since this whole medical thing's been going on, I have extremely high blood pressure and under all the stress of work and other things going on, he sat me down. He's like, listen, you got to do something to get your, your stress level down. He's like, you're going to wind up dying of a stroke or a heart attack. And that's why he said, it may be reverse tech, you know, reverse engineering, but what they say is bad for you may work for you to so try this i am in no way condoning cigarette smoking well it's not cigarette cigar smoking for anybody i think if it's what's for you it's for you if it's not for you just because it happens to work for me and i'm a one cigar, cigar a week person so for me it lowers my blood pressure down which sounds completely opposite to what it should be but do you know what lowers my blood pressure down it's not consuming the nicotine or anything like that from from a cigar because you're not inhaling or anything like that. Yeah, it's not that. What lowers my pressure is the fact that I'm concentrating on smoking a cigar and nothing else. But, 
it takes my mind off of all the other bullshit. Yeah. So I sit down with other coaches, which I think I know two or three other coaches that will actually all sit down and talk to each other without like wanting to pull out guns and shoot it out. <laughs> but um, We'll sit down and we'll talk stuff over and stuff like that. And I've been able to help a few of them with their techniques and, and all that teaching, teaching kids. And the reason being on a normal stage, we wouldn't talk to each other. Well, I'll talk to anybody. They wouldn't give me the fucking time of day because they, they're too uptight. But when we're one of them noticed that, Oh, you're smoking a cigar. Can I talk to you? And we're both sitting there smoking. The students are sitting over there and they're talking and gabbing. She's helping her with a D loop, whatever. And I'm talking to this guy. And because of the fact that we're concentrating on something other than the egos, everything works. You know, the only other way I've ever found that does that and it doesn't work for me because I don't drink is consuming a bottle of honey. (laughs) Your Jack Daniels and stuff like that. That works for for some people. It doesn't work for me. (laughs) You know what? You say that about smoking a cigar. I watched a film called Hand Rolled about uh, New World Cigars and now talking about the Havanas. And they were saying back in the day in Miami, you'd go into a cigar lounge mm-hmm. and no matter what your background, what you did for a living, everybody suddenly became equal because they talk about politics civilly. It wouldn't end up in heated debates because I were relaxing over a cigar. And this one guy there interviewing said, yeah, I'm sat there talking to this guy. We're just talking about our wives, our kids just general chit-chat. He yeah. said when he went, he said, I thought he looks familiar. Turned out this ordinary guy off a construction site had been sat out having a conversation with the head of the CIA <laughs> just because they shared a love for cigars. Exactly. And he said he's I such have a found... great leveller. And the thing is, like, like I said, I smoke one cigar a week. Yeah. Maybe two if it's a bad week. And if I don't, it's like right now I'm talking to you, so I'm here at home with an air filter on and stuff like that. Yeah. I live by myself, so I can do whatever I want in my own home, but I generally don't smoke at home. I'm talking to you. There's a purpose to me smoking my cigar, relaxing with you, talking about stuff and all that. Um, But when I don't have that and I want to smoke a cigar because I'm uptight, I'm by myself or something like that, I'm not going to sit here in the dark and, and go ahead and smoke a cigar. We, in New York City, smoking is banned everywhere. I mean, you can't smoke in a park. You can't smoke on a beach. You can't smoke anywhere like that. So there are a few cigar shops that still exist. Yeah. And they have lounges within them. And the number of people who go there and sit down, buy a cigar in the place, and sit there. And you can sit there and not talk to anybody. But nine out of ten times, I'd say, you wind up hearing a conversation They'll invite you into a conversation. People you don't know that most of the time you would tell it to go piss off or something like that. Cause it yeah. cuts you off on the highway or something like that. But all of a sudden you find something in common. It's much the same way that I try to tell people. And, and I'll go to those places now when I got no one else to smoke with and I'll sit down, have a cigar and I'll be gone. But sometimes I'll go there with the purpose of smoking a cigar and I'll be there for 30 minutes and that 30 minutes turn to three hours as I wind up in conversations with some of these guys. 
And they're like, oh, you teach archery? I didn't know that. My son wants to start, you know, learning archery. I'm like, sure. And they become fascinated with it. And then I'm sharing pictures of my girls at the events and stuff like that. Um, I break it down to them that, like, generally I only coach girls because they only have the mentality to deal with the way teaching them. But sure, your son can take a stab at it and, and let's see how it works out. Always giving somebody the benefit of the doubt. And sometimes that's what you need. And in archery, much like that thing that you sent me the other day, that little post, which I'm going to make the subject of a podcast, by the way. Oh, that, um, oh, that yeah. pissed me. I was, uh, I had to, I had to yeah. stop myself replying to it thinking, mate, you're a fucking bell end. You are you an know what, you know what absolute cockring. <laughs> if you had replied to it like that, right? You would have proven the point that she was making saying, yeah, all you compounders are assholes. Yeah. <laughs> She's thinking because there's such great division in it. And by stooping to her level, you would have proven her point. Yeah. But you're the better of the man who didn't do that. I thought, and instead, you your type nothing. You forwarded it to me who will then eviscerate her. <laughs> in an upcoming podcast and give her what she properly deserves for trying to be the dis- the, the disruptive horse's ass that she is for saying something that's stupid yeah. because the fact is an archer is an archer is an archer. I don't care if you shoot a crossbow. Oh, yeah, I'll have depth threats on me for anyone saying that. Um, a crossbow, a recurve, a compound, a slingshot. I don't care. It's all the same. In fighting within the community, just on different styles, it's the dumbest thing that you can possibly do. And people have done it for eons since compounds became popular. With Aoife, you shoot in groups of the same bow style. With Aoife, they mix the groups up. Unless oh, that must be fun. <laughs> I'd love shooting mixed groups, though. I'd love to see other styles shoot. And I've got to admit, intuitive archers, I'm envious as hell. I haven't got the hand-eye coordination to shoot intuitively or instinctively, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And I and barebow shooters, string walkers, fascinate the hell out of me. I used to watch some of the... World Field Championships on YouTube, and you watch mm-hmm. these string walkers, they're as accurate as the compound guys. When they just, yeah, that point is on the center every time, and you watch them counting threads of surveyed. That fascinated me, and I love shooting in mixed groups because I love to see different styles shooting at, at the NFAST Championships. You've got different. You've got wooden wooden arrow courses and carbon arrow mm-hmm. courses. But generally, if you go on an NFAS open shoot, my uh, one of my first ones, I was in. It was the second open shoot I'd ever done. There was me shooting compound, another lad from uh, Padgett shooting longbow. Not what you guys call longbow, English longbow. What you call longbow okay. over here, we call American flatbow. Uh, a guy shooting primitive with a self-made bow. No, sorry, a lady shooting primitive with a self-made bow and her husband shooting crossbow. And we had such a good day and we learned so much about each other's bows. 
and I, I, I'm just fascinated by different shooting styles. I love to watch different styles shoot. Unfortunately, sometimes it's the organization itself that causes the rift because by segregating everybody and saying, you're this class, you're shooting with other people that class, they don't let people get the chance to even experience what it's all about. So that develops an animosity because you never knew anything about him. You never even talked to one of these people. You're like, well, that's that guy with the traditional bow. He's an asshole because that's they're all assholes. Because that's what I heard that they're all assholes. And uh, the best example that I can think of when it comes to people not going with the flow, who being open to everything, is Anthony because one of his best friends. He's always bragging about Arthur. Yeah, Arthur shoots recurve. Anthony shoots compound. Does that sound like your typical relationship, as most would have you believe? Because by common belief, according to what everyone says, they're supposed to hate each other. Natural enemies. You know, the cobra and the honey badger. That's yeah. what they're supposed to be. Oh, my God. They're not. Hell of a shooter, and they. Exactly. And there are people that shoot compound bows with no sights as accurately, if not more accurately, than people who shoot a compound with all the sights and everything else yeah. in the world. So it's got to be. You have to expose yourself to all these different things and become accepting of them, whether or not you like them or not. It's like, it's different. If you just believe it's different, it's okay, it's cool. No two people are exactly alike. No two different styles are exactly alike. But we all have the same core thing. Like, we like to shoot projectiles. Yeah, we want to get out (laughs) in the woods and shoot the shit out of rubber animals. (laughs) Yeah, you know, although posted on the wrong clip or Instagram, they will accuse you of shooting animals that are dumb enough to stand there and just take arrow after arrow. Oh, God, People, yeah. Didn't, didn't Anthony yeah. get one pulled from the Reinhardt R100 where there's, yeah. a, there's like a dozen arrows stuck out of a giraffe? At my old club, we had dinosaur targets. I was always afraid because I, was, I thought I was going to get, you know, um, like Trump's kid or whatever it is, you know, Black black balls for shooting a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Really? Oh God, yeah. People who, who complain about shooting dinosaurs? That was for what, fuck's sake! They've that, been dead for billions of years. That was one of the most hilarious. <laughs> that was taking a photo of him with a with a. They superimposed him on a shot from uh, Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park, didn't they? Oh my God, aren't they an endangered species? <laughs> for fuck's sake! I mean, for real people, <laughs> this is what it's come down to. <laughs> I mean, oh, this is why I worry. I worry about people like this. You know what I mean? You really um, can't educate stupid. No, and I'm going to have a lot of people. So I've got three podcasts that have been sitting in the cutting room floor only because I've been, the health has been up and down the last couple yeah. of weeks. And I had announced on Facebook this thing was going to come out the next day. It's been like three and a half weeks. It still hasn't come out because I haven't had time between the, the kids and and work and all that and trying to keep myself breathing every day um, to edit it out. But I have a nose button podcast. That's the one that's coming. But the one that comes after that, which I'm now tailing on that little thing up for don't be that guy for your best friend over there who likes to you know accuse oh, people of shooting yes. compound. But one that I, I put together and I thought about it for a while and, and I like, I said, you know, some people, they shoot compound, right? And they get so used to shooting compound that they forget about the basics 
of where it comes from because we started with recurves before compounds came out. Yeah. So a recurves, the basics are all there. The core of everything is there. So what I suggest people in that, and I know I'm going to get ridiculed for it, but the people that I do therapy with this, and I call it therapy, I tell them, we're going to take you off the compound for a week. You've got the worst target panic happening and the exorcism didn't work and all the other stuff like that didn't work. So I break out the the crucifix of all crucifixes. I break out a traditional recurve for them. It's a 20-pound recurve. And I say, okay, fine. I want you to learn how to shoot this doing the same movements, but there's less to think about. And it's not saying that recurve shooting is any any easier or anything like that, but it is allowing them to examine the core basics of everything. Yeah. So here, now you're pulling with your arm and you see what happens if you do this. And in doing that for a week, they go back to shooting the compound because they found the recurve so much more, a compound defines the recurve so much more complicated. Oh, because look, now yeah. they're doing everything based on their movements. But here's the thing. I teach them how to shoot accurately in 20 yards. No sights, no nothing like that using a recurve. In a week, they go back to shooting their compound. Their ability to now put that all together and apply the same basics to the pulling and all that on the compound makes them shoot 30 times better. And it's unreal how it works. And then just last week, I did the same thing for a recurve person who was having, she had the worst, now she's not one of my students. The mother brought her to me. She's 19. She's been shooting recurves since she's like 11 years old, so yeah. eight years. But she started to have a problem at 70 meters where she couldn't concentrate. And according to her, the way she was saying, her little sight was jumping around like this all over at 70 meters. Yeah. So I said, okay, well, it works like that for compounds. I wonder if it works the other way. And again, you don't, you don't learn anything by not trying something different. So what did I do? I set her up with a compound that I have here. Yeah. Light compound, 30 pounds. And I said, let me show you how to shoot this. Apply your same basics to this compound and shoot at 30 yards. And she was pegging this target in groups about an inch and a half big in two days at 30 yards with a compound. I said, it's so much more complicated, right? Yeah. But are you jumping around? No. Okay. I took the compound out of her hand. I put the recurve back in there. I said, aim for the 70. And she took the fact that her recurve is so much more simple to do, and she didn't have to worry about all this other stuff going on. Problem gone. <laughs> now, all of a sudden, she's not jumping all over. She's like, oh, hell, if I could do that, I could do this. And now she just holds steady right there on the 70. Problem's gone. She shot a seven twenty, a seven twenty game, and I think she shot seven oh three out of the seven twenty. Nice. So I'm like, see what I'm talking about? So what I've started to do is when people, all my students, and I've been doing this with the girls for years, all my students, I have them shoot a recurve every now and then. And I do it for games, breaking balloons and stuff like that, but they don't realize that I'm helping them to get back to their basics. And then the recurve people, I'm helping them by shooting a compound to try something a little bit more complicated, but they apply their same technique to it and it works for them. When they go back to their recurve, they're 100% better. So it's like anything else. Would you hold on to the fact that you're having all these problems with the bow you're shooting and blame it on you? Or would you just say, well, I think I just need to take a step back and do this 
Same way, I shoot a bad arrow, I let it go, yeah. and I keep going. So by doing that, I just take their brains and I put them in backwards mode and forwards again, and it resets them. So sometimes, one tip I'll give you is this. If you, if you have a bad arrow yeah. and it's bothering you that much, I don't know if they have time limits and how, how long you have to shoot a particular target over there. But not, if you shoot arrow one, you have, no. okay, then that's great. If you shoot arrow one and it got screwed up because of something that was unforeseen, whatever, even if it was something that you mentally know you did wrong, stop, take a deep breath and be like, it happened. It happened. I'm going to rely on what I know. Okay. I don't care. Move on. And it works. So if you forget it, you just take a step back, breathe. Okay, let's move on. You can move on. Yeah. That's the way people do it. And once they do that and they learn how to do that every time, even at a time match, they, they begin to learn how to move forward. If you stay stuck in the moment, you'll never be able to move forward. Something happens. Fine. If it's raining lemons, learn how to make lemonade and go on. That's the only way to do any of this stuff. So I, th- I think this whole thing now where I'm, it, I suppose the only way to describe it is practicing with a purpose. Like I said before, it was mm-hmm. just to wander around the woods with my mates plinking. Yeah. I hadn't got anything to fall back on in stressor situations. I mentioned in one of my earlier episodes uh, a quote from a guy named Jeff Cordero. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's doing really well on YouTube at the moment, just one a big 10 grand prize with first form and he's now one of their staff shooters. Okay. But he, he, his job is, is a, is a, a tire changer, a wheel changer. Okay. NASCAR. And he's applied his principles there to his archery that in high stress situations, what you do falls back on the quality of your training and really going around the woods I wasn't practicing. I was just flinging arrows, plinking. And now, yep. being more present in my shot, a lot more present in my shot, and I've been really aware of what I'm doing, I think I'm hoping that's going to build the confidence. So in a high-stress situation, and to me, open shoots are high-stress. And when mm-hmm. I finally get to hunt, that's going to be the biggest one. That's going to be the biggest stressor, having an animal in that scope. Yeah. I'll be able to fall back on my training and know that Rich, if you do this, that's going to happen. Yep. I'm going to have the confidence there mm-hmm. to do what I need to do in a stressful situation. So that, I think that's one of the reasons of this consistency training. It is actually giving me an aim. See what I did there? Giving me an aim. Hey, hey, <laughs> Uh, it, it is actually giving me a focal point for practice and training. Actually, that, that's another thing I've told you. Don't call it practice, call it training. It's like, always training. Don't, don't call yeah. it work it out. If you're working out, there's no purpose to it. You're training, there is an end goal there, and the end goal is to be a better archer and to be able to shoot well in stressful situations because I've got that level of training to fall back on rather than just 
it is nice every now and again just to walk around with your mates, fling some arrows, not thinking about it, having shits and giggles. But yeah, I'm never going to improve that way. Nope. And if I'm not thinking about my shot and I'm not present in my shot, I'm not going to notice if I'm developing bad habits. And exactly. then suddenly I'm going to wonder, why can't I hit a fucking barn door? I mean, I know you have to accept there are days everything conspires you against you. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. you can't put it together. And you maybe you just have to accept today's a bad day. Let's just walk away, come out, take half an hour, have a cup of coffee, go back in and try again. Yeah. But when all you're doing is worrying about score, you're not thinking what's going on and there is no purpose. And that score, the the video I watched, it's a fantastic video on YouTube about a guy that makes Yumi bows in Japan. His okay. family have been making them since the 13th century. And the first thing he teaches his students shooting is if you worry about where the arrow is going to land, you've already missed. Yep. And the same way, so if you if you've ever been to a field archery match, well, what we call field archery, it's it's target archery here at fifty meters. Yeah. Um, even if you watch a World Cup match like that, they when they're qualifying, you'll see all these people with these um, spotting scopes on the line. So yeah. they take a shot and they look to see where it hit. Okay. That's fine if you have a lot of if you if you're qualifying and there's a lot of heavy wind and stuff like that. But if there's no heavy wind, you'll find that the people who do the worst are the ones who, under every circumstance, they fire, and the first thing they do is pop their head down to look to see where it went. Uh, unless you're worried about the wind, and when you're practicing, you try to practice under optimum conditions, Yeah, you have to accept that the mentality of, I'm going to shoot my shot the way I do it, aiming to, and when I get down there, I know my arrows are going to be relatively where I tried to put them. If you're just hoping that they're going to be down there and you're worried about it and you're looking at every time, you know what's going to happen? They're going to be all over the place because you're thinking about it too much. Yeah. Let it go automatic. Do your thing. Just like I was saying before that smoking a cigar has become second nature to me. I still think about it when I have to. Yeah. So I don't set my hat on fire. And also so that if I'm putting down a cigar and it's towards the end of it. Yeah. Here's an example. My cigar is lit on this side. Normally when I put it down, it's like this. So I can grab it by the end. Yeah. Well, it got dark in here and I had just put it down on top of my lighter and it got dark and I could not see it. Now, Having been lit on fire before, did I think I'm just going to go ahead and grab it with my left hand and go to take a puff? I said, no, I do not have a regular circumstance here. So I'm going to turn on my phone and light up the way so I can see what I'm doing. And when I went to go light up my my cigar and and the lighter, it was pointing the wrong way. Had I grabbed it like this, I would have been in much pain (laughs) and I would have been like, Oh fuck. I just burnt myself because out of normal situation, I didn't take the extra time to look. Your blood pressure being on the way back up again. Oh yeah. I shoot in high wind. I look if the circumstances are normal, 
I just do what I do. Yeah. Same way that if you have a situation where you know something's not in the ordinary, I may have to put that extra into it to verify what I'm doing. Yeah. But aside from that, that's got to become the, the out of the ordinary situation. Yeah. Your automatic has to be do what you do and it'll just, you know, it's going to go there. And as long as you can do that, like I said, you have a bad shot. Fine. My next shot, I do what I got to do and I know it's going to be there. And I don't worry about it. I don't harp on it. And surely enough, when you get down, look at the target, it will be where you want it to plant it. Yeah. It's all there really is to it. But um, yeah, this, this stogie has attempted to burn me and it is now done. <laughs> I will not be messing with it. Um, and I'm putting it aside so that I do not singe my fingers, which I need to tie some D loops later. So yeah, that's, that that's something else that amazed me about cigars, watching, learning, watching the videos, how to smoke them. Mm-hmm. Apparently in a cigar lounge, well, you, you're not supposed to anyway. You're not supposed to stub it out, are you? Because that sours a taste and ruins the yes. smell. You just have to leave it there to go out mm-hmm. naturally. It goes out naturally, and then when you want to relight it, you tap it out, and then there's a way to relight it so you don't suck in all the carbon. Yeah, <laughs> clean, clean, clean the end off. Yeah. But I was amazed about that, about you don't actually stub it out because that yeah. alters everything and then ruins the gorgeous aroma you've built up from this yeah, wonderful cigar. You're stomping out all the carbon and stuff yeah. like that. Um, you can get just as involved in this as you can with archery, if not more, because there's so much more that goes on and so much learn, so much to learn about this stuff. Um, what was the message I, I sent in the group? What have you fuckers done to me now? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I learned one important thing. When you smoke cigars, everyone talks about Cubans, 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 got to have a Cuban, whatever. Well, you well, guys can't in the States, can you? No, you That's can't. That's why over here you, you go to any cigar shop and you hear the amateurs say, you got any Cubans? <laughs> and be like, no, they're fucking illegal. Why would anyone have Cubans? Yeah. Well, a friend of mine just went to, um, where the hell did he go? Bermuda and came back with some actual Cubans from there. Yeah. And you call it smuggling. I don't think it's smuggling. You just can't purchase them here. Yeah. So he bought them over there and he brought them over here. And I'm like, oh, great. I get to try this Cuban that I've heard so much about it. And I took two of them. One of them I gave to a friend of mine who smoked Cubans before. And he said, yep, it's a Cuban, whatever. And I'm like, okay. So I lit mine up and I'm like, this is what a Cuban tastes like. He goes, yep, that's what a Cuban tastes like. I'm like, it tastes like shit. <laughs> like, this is horrible. So just because you hear something is so good doesn't mean it's going to be that good for you. Just well, like you see somebody shooting a, a $1,000 set of X10 arrows doesn't mean it's going to be that great for you. You might like Skylons that work 100 times better for you. you know? Look at that little case, bugger. Just... <laughs> right. I took these out for the first time on Saturday. Two Robin Hoods. There you go. Full Robin Hood at 30 yards, and it, the arrow that hit it ended up halfway down the shaft. It, mate, it, it split it like split it like Pamela, Pamela Anderson's minge. Oh, gee. The second one at 32 yards hit the knock and just split the back of the arrow. So, you know what? 
That's my little set of 39 quid arrows. Two Robin Hoods, both at 30 yards. You can't moan at and that. And as an, as an arrow building tip, even though this this podcast is not about arrow building, pick up that arrow and put it in the camera again for a second. Yeah, I haven't got a pin knock on the back. Or no, it's not that. In. You built them properly. And I'll, do you know why you built this properly? Why? Look at the arrow, right? And look where your wrap ends. Your wrap ends about an inch away from the last from the last part of the vein. Okay. Yep. You know how many people I see they 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 wrap their arrows six seven inches when they're shooting a little one inch or two inch vein, six or seven inches of wrap. Yeah. And then they wonder why they fly like shit. I used to and do like, that. Then I figured they. I just preferred them slightly shorter. I might like that wrap maybe a half inch longer, purely for aesthetics. Well, if they start shooting weird on you, if you go another half inch longer, yeah, it's a very simple reason why. That wrap makes the back end of the arrow heavier, yeah, and if you put it so long past the fletching, makes it fucking stiffer. Yeah, <laughs> so, that takes weight. Weight at the back increases the spine, doesn't it? Yeah, and it makes the arrow stiffer. And makes it behave erratically. And, um, yeah, because some people put 10-inch wraps on their arrows because it looks good. And I'm like, that's stupid, unless you took that into effect into account when you're picking out the spine for the arrow. Um, Hashtag in some cases, shaft. So some people that, that have spines that are too light, the only thing I tell them to do, well, you don't want to buy another $200 set of arrows, order 10-inch wraps. <laughs> put it on there and now that light spine becomes a stiff spine <laughs> it's that's, all good that's what i like about victory's arrow spine calculator you put mm-hmm. in the weight of your wrap on there as well yeah there's it's the only one i've seen that takes everything into consideration as in an arrow company an arrow company spine calculator i think it, any the only other things that do that are things like uh archer's advantage and archer's mark aren't they and that Archer's Mark, software. I like Archer's. I used to like Archer's Advantage. It acts for too much now, and all the other stuff, no matter what, never comes out right. Yeah, Archer's Mark is has done all the stuff for the original Archer's Advantage, and I think Paige Pierce did a did a podcast about that once, and it's been true. That's why I only use Archer's Mark anymore. Um, but at least Victory takes into account the weight, but more than the weight, it's what it does to the actual flexibility of the spine, because depending on what the material is made out of that back of the arrow may not flex as much now as the front of the arrow used to, and you wind up getting something weird out of it. People think it's just about the way it actually has to do with the constriction on the arrow, but yeah, exactly. You're not, unless you take into account all these little factors, when you build them, it may look great, but (laughs) it doesn't shoot great. You did it just enough to get past the veins. And that's why your arrow is performing the way it is. But you increase that by say another two or three inches. And I think you'll find that those things act very strangely. Yeah. (laughs) You'll be like, I don't want to do this. These are flying like tax. The flight on them is absolutely gorgeous. And I did that first bend indexing and they are coming out. They're tack driving. Just uh, get some pin knots. Trust me, you'll yeah. I've got it. I've got it. I've I've tried. I tried uh, the gold tip pin adapter in the back of that. Yeah, gold tips are two four six. These are two four four on the interior. It's just that little bit too big. So I don't know if to try sand. I might just try sanding a couple down, just to see if well, I. Well, no, pop don't them do in. that. Don't do that. Um. Go to there's a there's a rap company called One Stringer. 
Yeah. Okay. Go to their website and you're going to see for, for when you're trying to order wraps from them, there's a chart that pops up uh-huh. and it has the interior diameter of every single fucking arrow. If you know what your interior diameter is of yours, just go down the chart and find the one that matches or is slightly smaller and get those pin knocks because then whatever is in there, as long as you're putting the glue evenly, yeah. it'll take up the extra space. And most of the time, one of those arrows is going to be an exact match yeah. Buy the pin knocks for it and you're good to go. And it'll fit p- perfectly on there um, because the, the best thing about Chinese arrows or Chinese made arrows yep. or everything bad that you could say about them. What I say is good about them is the mandrels or whatever they use to form them are copied from somebody else's arrow. Yes. So, so when you find the arrow, because it matches the interior diameter, all of the accessories for those arrows fit the Chinese one. <laughs> so that's the best little tidbit that I could give you about that. Don't go trying to shave something down or stuff like that. Find the one that's the match or the closest one the to one it where you don't have four, to. Four. Yeah. And, and there's plenty of them that are going to be that size. Yeah. I'm pretty sure one of the Black Eagle ones is exactly that size. And just get those components. Not necessarily the same components from Black Eagle. Because remember, you could have a $100 you know, shaft, but the the components they put in are like 12 and 15 cents sometimes. Yeah. Black Eagle components that come with them are better than most. But if you want to get really good ones, then go to one of the aftermarket companies and say, I need components for a Black Eagle this. If that's the one that matches, they'll give you that. You put it into your Skyline stuff, and you're like, holy shit, it fits. (laughs) (laughs) And the arrow companies will all be after me for saying that now because I blew up their little spot about like, wait a minute, wait a minute, people aren't buying our arrows anymore because, oh shit, all the components fit the other one. (laughs) I I bet there's an awful lot of components for the big manufacturers coming out of China anyway, because China. I think they all do. Yeah. Yeah. China produces a lot of a lot of arrows anyway for some of the big companies and I mean Eastern got about made in the USA, but that's their pull truded ones that are made in um, the USA. Apparently well, well, their their cheaper ones are straight out of China. You know what I you know what I learned about people who say stuff is made in the USA? And I'm not saying it's Eastern or anybody else. Yeah. I'm saying this is a legal loophole that I found found out about because I worked with a manufacturer, not archery related with something else in electronics. And they were able to say it's made in the USA to increase their sales for it. Um, But the fact is that it's made in the USA because the plant they were making it on is an American owned plant in China. So the soil is considered American soil. And that's how they legally got around it. (laughs) Just because it says made in the USA doesn't mean it's made in the USA. It could be made elsewhere but on u.s territory so, so it is like that they it's it's wordplay it's really all it is with some people not saying that's what they do but saying that always keep that in the back of your head because if you're saying well i need to have it made in the usa chances are what you think is made here isn't made here anyway so it doesn't make a difference certain things where you can control that yes it is because it would be absorbent and the cost would be crazy yeah to make them here looks like all these <laughs> but all these buggers that are on I mean, I'd, I'd do, do, try and buy from your own nationality if you can, but all these saying, you're scum if you don't buy made in USA while they're typing this out on the Chinese-made iPhone. 
Now, now, don't say those things about iPhones, all right? Hey, I, 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 I'm back on iPhones now. I live, I live and work on an iPhone. Yep. Okay, um, it's the only thing that c- contains the security protocols that work Same for here. my job. Um, I had ten so, years on Android and came back to iOS just because I like the user interface. Yeah, it's simpler. A simpler user interface. Exactly. Yes, Android are always a couple of three years ahead with the features, but Apple are the smart cookies. They let Android do all the hard work, clean all the bugs out. Then Apple said, yep, that's good enough. We'll use it now, fella. (laughs) Work smart, not hard. I hate to say it like this, but the number one phone carried by terrorists worldwide is an iPhone because you can't crack it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that's true. I don't know if that's a stat. It probably is. But I'm just saying. So I stick with what's the hardest to break into. The iPhone is the hardest. Therefore, I will use the iPhone or whatever I, it is. I like the iPhone. I bought it purely because of the cameras. I mean, I know Samsung are like 108 megapixel. And the app, this Apple one's 12 megapixel, but apparently Samsung yeah. pixel crush at a rate of nine to one. So 108 divided by nine is 12, exactly yeah. the same as the fucking Apple. Exactly <laughs> the fucking same. And, and it's like, well, you're saying, well, this arrow shaft is produced here and it's to this quality standard and all that. Um, yeah, is it made in the same plant as the Skylon shit is? Huh, you think they have different machines for it? Probably not. Different <laughs> labeling machines. Same shit, different label. Well, I, I mean... I watched MFJJ doing, uh, you know, he does a test of the arrows. hmm Where he weighs them and checks, just, yep, this yeah. looks straight, and he weighs them. He took a dozen of the Eastern Sonic 6 millimeters. And across a dozen shafts, there was a five grain weight difference. Yeah, and that's so. These little I'm fuckers, not gonna... I weighed them. I opened the pack live on Instagram and weighed them across a dozen shafts. 0.6 of a grain difference. That's a full so, 33 inch shaft. So that's always been my beef with Easton um, because there's such a variation in the weight of their shafts. Um, it wasn't the case when you had aluminums, but with carbons, it is the case. Yeah. And the only way to get like the minimum variation is to buy what they call match grade. So either you're telling me that the cheaper shafts are all fucking match grade or Easton's just upselling you for the ones that are match grade and everything else is a second that they're giving you. And I don't like that idea. They're all, so they're I, all I, off the I, same I machine. They're just batch them different. Yeah, that's all it really is. Um, so I'm like, hmm. you know, that, that wonders like, why wouldn't you give everyone the same quality and stuff like that instead of charging a premium for, for this to say, these are now match grade. Yeah. It's all bullshit to me. It's all advertising bullshit in some cases though. It's real. And believe it or not, even if they're off by two, three grains, whatever, remember the average person doesn't make a fucking difference. Oh God, no. <laughs> I, I was just staggered that, like I say, that's hundred and twenty dollar, hundred and twenty quid set of arrows, five grain variants. Yeah, forty quid set of arrows, point six of a grain. Also producing one tenth of a percent of the number of arrows that Easton produces. Yep. So when they get up to production ramping level, they may see theirs go off the same way. Yeah. Um, it's like I said, if you find something while it's good, buy a lot of it, and then uh, 
after you buy a lot of it, you have them because six months or a year later when they become so popular and you check them, it may not be the same. And I even learned that with cigars. You find a good cigar, buy the same cigar while it's new and all that, because the next line of them that comes out are probably not the fucking same. Well, I'm going to order another dozen of these shafts this week. Like I say, I've I've already done two up the arse end. Okay. So, and I'm going to order another another box of the Padron 1926 because, like I said, I've had this one and it was wonderful. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> another one. Uh, this little short, square, flat press box press bastard is good and better than a thirty dollars fucking cigar. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, let me just get those instead. They're smaller, more dainty. I do look a little. You know, um, ginger suspect smoking like this. <laughs> but you can't help what's fucking good, and those are fucking good. <laughs> I've gone full circle. They're going to go ahead and they're going to call me the Tate of Archery. Who knows? <laughs> fuck them if they're listening. This is reality speaking, and that's what it's going to be. <laughs> look, if you look dainty enough, I might even put you on a Bud Light can. <laughs> oh shit! Well, now that that when I first started smoking cigars, I thought you had to hold them like this, and instead you hold them like this, so yep. look a little bit more Arnold-like. Yeah. Um, and one one of the girls said to me because I was sitting in the corner smoking it, and they're like, "Coach, um." Ask my dad how to hold that right because uh, you look like you belong in the Barbie movie or something like that because you're kind of going like like that. Would you like a pink jacket to go with that and a smoking <laughs> jacket and some slippers? I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? And they're like, you're holding it like a woman like this. And um, of all Cigar the people we vixen. know, you're, you're, you're the least feminine of all the guys we know. So <laughs> just don't start that way. We don't want it to go down the wrong path. I'm like... I shit you not, I dropped the cigar right into the grass. I was like, yeah, um, hmm. That'll I'll be buying you rainbow-colored arrow wraps next. <laughs> never going to happen. They make them now, and that's never going to happen for me. Um, I'm starting Archery to build. Bride. That's all I fucking need. And before you know it, someone will leak a photo of me with rainbow wraps on it to Archery Hooligan, who posted it like, manly shafts. <laughs> I don't need that kind of thing again. Um, Anybody volunteering to give Angel shaft a tug? <laughs> I, 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 yeah, no, 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 no. So... <laughs> I, I like the fact that when people ask where my girl's coach is and they point to me like, oh, you see the guy over there, the one who looks like he wants to rip you in two? Yeah, that's that's my coach. I don't want him to have to say, see the fellow over there, the one with the very delicate hold on his cigar? That's coach. Go talk to him. Um, I, I, I will say this, and this is not made up or anything like that. I don't particularly, and, and only because I ran into a problem a couple weeks ago at a different tournament, and I saw something happening over there, and y- you know how mo- well, when I need to be, I'm the most outspoken person you could ever fucking run into. Yeah. I don't stay shut. I tell you like it is, and that's basically all there's going to be. Well, there was a guy shooting 
um, at the practice range of a tournament. And let's just say he was getting razzled by a lot. Some of the other guys that were shooting over there. Yeah. He, um, I don't know for a fact that he rolled the other way or whatever. And personally, I don't give a shit. Yeah. You're there. You're an archer to me. I don't see anything else. Just like I don't see different colors. The yeah, military teaches we, you that. We're all everybody's there to the same shoot color. Bows and have fun. That's exactly. All it's about. I don't give and, a shit your race, color, religion, orientation, or whatever. Yeah. So I walked over to the two guys. I mean, they were really giving them a hard time. And I looked at him and I said, What's the problem? Like, this guy doesn't belong. This is exactly what they said. I'm not making this up. They said, This is a manly sport. This guy does not belong here. He should go somewhere else where he'll be accepted. I said, Well, should I go somewhere else where I'll be accepted? They're like, No, of course not. You with us. I'm like, No, you don't get it. He shoots a bow and an arrow. For all I fucking care, he can point, paint himself purple which would be my preferred color. Let him point, paint himself purple if he wants. <laughs> he paints himself purple, gray, green, pink. I don't give a shit. He's here to do the same things you are. Is he grabbing you in the ass? No. He's doing what makes him happy over here. So in a very calm manner, I'm just going to tell you, leave him fucking be. Yeah. Because if you don't, I'm going to embarrass you in ways that only I can embarrass you and you're not going to like that. So, and then this guy's just looking at me and he, and he just stared at me like somebody's actually sticking up for me. I'm like, it's all right. Do your thing, whatever. And they kind of like backed down, but I went over to the guy and I said, listen, man, don't know you. This is who I am. This is my card, whatever. If you ever have a problem, need something, call me. Yeah. No one should be bothering you here over the, at the range when you're practicing, tournament starts, whatever. I don't give a fuck what time it is. Something happens, let me know. We're not going to let that kind of bullshit happen around here. This guy was like so happy to hear something like that that it seemed the the strangest thing that ever happened to him. And archery is a big family. You take your family no matter how yeah. they come to you. And if you don't do that, then you're as big an asshole as the guy you're looking at who happens to be shooting that $3,000 fucking Hoyt bow. <laughs> it's him because you're singling out somebody for being different. Yeah, You don't do that shit. So that's just one of those things that I think whether you're whatever your orientation is, However you like to dress, whatever bow you like to shoot, whether you want to shoot a compound or a recurve or a crossbow, there's no place for that here. We have enough shit going against us. Yeah, we are one big archery family. And as long as my girls learn that lesson when they're at tournaments or anywhere for that matter, then I'm happy. Because the only thing I can say is the mark, mark of a coach is if people can see you in your students. Yeah. And if they see me in their students, unfortunately, sometimes they see too much of me in my students. Uh, <laughs> some He's of them a badass play. motherfucker over there. That was when she was mild. She's gotten a lot worse. 
<laughs> she is substantially worse now than she was. Um, but if they can see you and your students, then you've done the right job. And if that's when I leave this earth, if that's the way that all my kids wind up and that all their students wind up like that, yep. then I've done the right thing. And that's all I'm trying to do. It's a hell of a so legacy can, to leave, isn't it? I'm trying my best because that's the way my teacher left me with his imprint on me of how to be a teacher, how to do things, how to work on things, how to do things in life in general. A week ago, I found out I am the last of the students that he had. Seriously? Yeah, I'm the last one. Wow. So everybody else has died off. (laughs) It's like there was a core group of, at any one time, I'd say about eight to nine kids that i mean we stood over his house we did everything yeah he took us everywhere trained us all just like any other thing um and we some of us went on to teach other ones didn't but of all the ones that did go on to teach i'm the last one <laughs> so they want to do something about it whatever off camera i'll tell you what was going on with that but yeah if you I can leave that mark on your students your teacher was like the Don't ulti- mention his name, but no, yeah. <laughs> he was the ultimate anti-gatekeeper, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Also, the ultimate crazy man, the ultimate macho man. <laughs> yeah, uh, he did it all. Um, so, eventually, I've I've done it like this. I've never wanted to use his name to impress anybody, yeah. and I don't mention it. But my students know where their legacy comes from. And their parents know it, but we keep it kind of low key because yeah. like, that's just the way I want it. Um, after I'm gone, I don't care what anybody says. It's fine, whatever. But until then, you know, it is where it comes from, but it doesn't matter if people know where you got it from. It only matters like they know you, how you are and how your students are. And that's just the way I want to keep it. Yeah. You know, so yeah, um, you're it's getting certain, a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. You're certainly living up to your coach's legacy, aren't you? I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah. I don't have for students. I have his patience. For other people, I don't. <laughs> so stupidity was was one thing that very rarely anyone ever saw him explode at. Um, I've tried to adhere to that lesson. It has not rubbed off on me. His legacy <laughs> with the angel touch. Yeah. Um, That's he, it. You, you, when you punch him, do you say you've been touched by an angel? <laughs> um, no, but I will tell you that the one time that anyone ever did see me in a fight, it wasn't one of my students, and it was over quickly. It was a self-defense matter, and the only thing that when the guy who I was forced to take charge of something to help somebody else when he came to, and this is not a joke, he said, what the hell hit me? And the only thing that this kid's father who saw what happened said, you got hit by the A train. Yeah. My my teacher was a very soft-spoken man, but could scare you with his words, depending on how he put them. Yeah. He never raised his voice or anything like that. I am still trying to learn that technique. <laughs> it has not worked very well. Um, 
I don't think I'm working on a very soft spoken. Don't be that guy version. Um, you may see it in the next podcast. That's why I'm trying to keep it all contained and mellow right now. But when you hear that next podcast, if you hear a very different type of don't be that guy, which is both softer, more mellow, yet all the more frightening. <laughs> you don't know what that is. I'm, so I'm, I'm thinking trying. a snipe out of Harry Potter now never raised his voice, but he got the death, the whisper of death. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, my teacher would be compared to the Dumbledore. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, that actually, yeah. I'm looking, yes. yeah, you looked at him and you said, don't fuck with that guy. <laughs> That was the thing, because even at his advanced age, I think if you really pushed into it, he would lay you out like he would a Kodiak bear. <laughs> oh, I didn't. I, I could imagine he would. <laughs> so, yeah, that that was what I grew up with, and that is what my students are growing up with. Um, you'll always hear me refer to my students as my kids because I treat them the same way. Yeah. Um, I have an advantage that I get to give them back at the end of the day. <laughs> so I have all all the advantages with none of the, none disadvantages. Of the disadvantages. Yeah. Um, but just as much as the worry about them. So yeah, I've got all that going on for me. But um, yeah, as a matter of fact, I got to get to some work that I have to do in the shop. But uh, this was an interesting conversation. It went down a couple of different directions I didn't expect it to. It has, <laughs> it's, it's been an absolute pleasure as always. And thank you so much for agreeing to do this at such short notice. It's genuinely of appreciated and humbling. Yeah. And I'll stay on for a couple seconds after you finish recording and we'll have a couple more words and then I'll go about my business. <laughs> you know I mean? Right, folks, that's it. How long have we been going? Bloody hell, nearly two hours. Right, you know where to find Angel, highpowerarchery.com, uh, highpowerarchery on Facebook and Instagram. As always, you can get hold of me at archerygeekoutdoors at gmail.com, Instagram, archery.geekoutdoors. Facebook Archery Geek Outdoors, YouTube Archery Geek Outdoors, TikTok Archery Geek Outdoors, Twitter at A underscore G underscore Outdoors. Folks, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Remember, take care, shoot straight. Good night.